Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to worship Jesus, and um, it's good to eat donuts and have coffee, but that's not why we're here. That's just why we got you here, because you all heard we had donuts and coffee. No, we're here to worship Jesus. We're here to honor Him. And um, whether it's your first time, we've been with us for a while, our heart's desire is that whenever we gather together as people, that we would lift up the name of Jesus, because we know that the Father is glorified, and we glorify the Son, and we honor Him. Man, God is pleased. God is blessed in that way. And so that's what we gather. We gather because, because it is our response to His love towards us, is our response is, Lord, we give you everything. We worship you. And so whether you're here for the first time or not, we just want to say welcome back for everyone that's been gone for the summer. And uh, we're excited. You know, in this town, this is like New Year's Day uh, in this town. And so we don't really do the New Year's Day thing as much as we do. This is like the fall kickoff. It's the beginning of our year around our city. And uh, we're really excited about that. My name's Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And uh, I went to A&M once back in 2001. Uh, <clears throat> it was just a few years ago, I think, or at least it seems that way. But, you know, when I came to A&M, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I came uh, from a pretty large high school, but most of my friends had gone to other universities. And so I came to A&M, and like lots of people, I kind of wanted to start over. And um, I don't know about your high school experience, if everyone remembers back to that, but, you know, there was things in high school that I would love to leave in high school. You know, it's like what happens in high school stays in high school. Like, that's what I wanted to happen. And, uh, and so when I came to A&M, I thought, you know what, if I'm going to start over, uh, it's not just moving to a new city, I got to do a few things, all right? So I decided to grow my hair out, right? Now, I mean, growing it out to like, you know, about down here, and it's curly, and it looked kind of funky, and so I had this really long hairdo going on, all right? So I figured if I go from high and tight to long hair, that's a change, that's a way to start over. And then I thought, well, what's a real way to just kind of get the slate clean? Change your name. <laughs> right? So I went by Tyler all growing up. And I thought, you know, that's a little old school. Let's condense that to Ty. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Not only so, but I decided, you know, I am instant messenger was like the only form of social media we had at the time. And uh, in college, everyone had their, their little, you know, name or whatever. So mine actually was Tybo Curls. Yes. yes, I had issues. That's what you're thinking right now. You could refer to me as a tall hobbit. It looked like Frodo Baggins on top of my head. Not kidding. So this was my life. I had an identity crisis as a freshman. So if you are having one right now, it's okay. God can restore you, all right? I go by Tyler, but if you say Ty, I may perk up, all right? My wife doesn't like it. Just take it up with her. All right. Now, when I came to college, you know, I, I really wanted a fresh start, and I was just trying to, to kind of start over and to make friends and do stuff, right? And so, man, I, I, I would meet people and kind of, let's do lunch or let's go hang out or whatever. We would throw together some kind of random soccer games or flag football, or we would do late night hangouts. And so, because I was just trying to find new friends and start over. And I filled my schedule academically and socially where I would have said I was really busy. Hindsight, being a father of five kids, I wasn't that busy then, but it felt like it, all right? So that's cool. If everyone feels busy and you're single and you're in college, that's great. Feel busy. It only gets busier, okay? So enjoy a while last. But there I was, freshman year, just kind of trying to fit in and to go for it. Um, and so I remember right before I got to campus, I went to fish camp. 
All right, went to fish camp, did the whole deal, and I'm there, and it's night one, and they had told us a little flyer beforehand, hey, bring these, bring these kind of clothes for these different kind of themes. I don't have to do that anymore, all right? So I brought my toga, all right, which is just like my bed sheet, right? So, uh, so I got my toga there, and it's like night one, it's like the toga dance party at fish camp. All right, now here I am, I mean... Tybo curls, you know, it's like, I'm here. This is my debut. I better, I mean, in high school, I didn't do that kind of stuff. But here, it's like games change, right? So I'm there. We're at this pavilion, and it's like this awkward middle school dance. You know how it is. Guys and girls separated with all the counselors trying to get everybody to dance, and they're, like, not buying it. So there we were, Shane, a bunch of guys. And uh, a few of us were like, you know what? We got to do something. This party stinks. So we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're like, let's get out there. So we get out there. We didn't know what we were doing. We ran out in the middle. Everyone's watching, and we decided to try to break dance. Now, none of us can actually break dance, but it was a great try, all right? And so everyone thought it was fun because, hey, here's these guys that actually don't know what they're doing, but at least we're trying, and then it kind of broke the ice, and the party was fun, right? But I would have never done that in high school. But you know what? I was on a mission to make new friends. Really what it was was I was on a mission to do what most freshmen in college across the country are doing right now as of this moment, even today, which was what? Trying to find acceptance. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to start over. I wanted to make new friends. I didn't want to have the old friends. I wanted a new life. I wanted new friends. I've changed my name and changed my hair. Here I am. And I wanted to start over. And I wanted to be accepted. I was wanting to be light, to be known, to be worth something to other people that I just met. But, um, you know, my motives weren't completely pure. <laughs> they weren't completely pure. Um, now, to get the answer as to why my motives weren't pure, what was off there, I want to fast forward in my story, but rewind modern day back to 2010. In 2010, Steve Jobs and Apple announced the iPhone 4. Now, what was unique about the iPhone 4? Is that for the first time, it had a front-facing camera. And they introduced a technology called FaceTime, right? Which many of us are just, that's just every day. But 2010 didn't have that. So now the idea is we're going to make phone calls. And they created it for the idea of doing these video calls. No one could also take pictures. And so it started out, and it was just kind of this thing. And then people started using it instead of, you know, for, for convenience sake, instead of having to ask some stranger, they're awkwardly asking to take a group picture. So I think they might actually take their phone, right? That's happened before. Then you take your convenient, you do the whole group thing, and everyone tries to fist their heads in, and the guy holding it's got to have a long arm to make sure it all works and all that sort of stuff. We know it is. And then it turned into just selfies now, just the norm, right? Selfies are the norm in not just our country, but actually worldwide. I was looking at some stats, Snapchat, right? 74% of Snapchat photos last year were selfies. It's a lot of selfies, right? I guess not a lot of, not a lot of good pictures out there in nature anymore or stuff, but... Right here is pretty good. Uh, Instagram, right? Instagram, you know, Instagram. 95 million photos and videos are shared every day. Every day. Right? This isn't just an American problem. 80% of Instagram users don't live in the U.S. Right? So you have an entire world right now that actually has the capability to snap photos of themselves. And let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hands. But you know, when you take the photo right here, you're getting that double chin going on. I don't like that. So what do you do? You elevate a little bit. Boom. Looking good. Looking trim. No double chin. I can look up. The, the light's getting my eyes, making it look starry. Boom. Not only that, if that's not good, I got the filter. Thank you for the filter. Right? Take the blemishes out. Boom. 
Oh, wow, you look perfect. I know. But in person, you look a little different. Ah, it's just, you know. But like, that's our society. Right? I can take a snap, a, a photo of myself and broadcast it everyone. Right? That is normal. That's accepted. Now, last week, if you were here, Chris Putcher preached and he mentioned the me generation, which many of us on the crowd was referring to millennials. Not so. Referring to the baby boomers. The ones after World War II that came out of that, they took a detour from the Great Depression generation, the World War II generation, and this idea and the culture really started to formulate called narcissism. So what is narcissism? Simple definition, excessive interest in oneself. So the narcissistic society that began developing in America happened when people started saying, you know what, I'm going to pull back from doing my duty in society. I'm going to pull back maybe from caring for my neighbor so much or to contributing. I'm just going to pull in and say, what can I do for me? How can I get my 401k, my savings? How can I elevate myself up the chain of command? What can I do to make life good for me? Because I saw what happened to my grandparents when they sacrificed and lived in poverty. I saw what happened to them when they did that and it left them ruined. It hurt them. I don't want that. I'm going to self-protect and just take care of me. And that idea started a while ago with many of our parents. And so here you now fast forward and we still have that same mentality that has not gone away. And now, by way of a phone in our pocket, we all have the ability to actually encourage that idea every five seconds. Hey. Here's me. Here's what I'm doing. I'm eating a hamburger. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> I'm hanging on a cliff. Cool. But, but we want to somehow, we have that same longing I had as a freshman, which is, I just want people to know me. I mean, now let me just say this. It's not wrong to have the desire for people to know you or be accepted or feel connected. That is actually God-given. The problem is that the motives in it is misplaced. The motives are misplaced. Something is off in it. Now, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1, to the beginning, to find out where did we get off track as a people, as a society. Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth, the light, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. He created everything, right? And then on day 6, on the sixth day of creation, this is what it says, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man our own image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. We are created in his likeness. Now, that's difficult to understand because you look around the room, you've got different color skin, different color hair, different color eyes. You've got different sizes of people. You've got different personality types. We come from a variety of different places. But guess what? If you believe the Bible, which I do, I don't believe part of the Bible. I believe the whole Bible. And let me just say, if you are a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you have to believe the whole thing, not just some of it. Doesn't work like that. He's not like a nice guy, but not the son of God. He's not like a prophet, but not a king. It's actually all of it, yeah. right? He, he either died on the cross and rose from the grave. It's not, well, he died on the cross, but didn't rose from the grave. It's not he was resurrected, but didn't die for me. No, no, it's the whole thing. 
So I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your journey with God, if you've already wrestled this down and you're in with Jesus and you're saying, I'm in, even the parts I don't like that make me feel a little strange, that make me look introspective and say, whoa, i got to change that in my life, that's actually a good thing. That's called the Holy Spirit. He's here to convict us and guide us and lead us into all truth. But you got to actually read the Word to know what the Word says so you can actually counter what the enemy wants to say to you, which you're about to get to in this story. Because if you're not grounded and rooted in that, you'll just take whatever culture says is okay or nice for the moment, and you'll latch onto it. Instead, you won't be latching onto this. This endures. Culture does not. Look it up in history. Where are the Romans? They're gone. Where are the Greeks? They're gone. Where are the Persians? They're gone. Where are these great empires? Babylon, going back to the beginning of time. They all come and go, but he stands forever. And he's the same, right? Genesis 1 is the same God as he's in 2018 God. Now, we can't comprehend that. You know why we can't comprehend that? You know why that frustrates you? Because you're a person, not God. Because you're the created, not the creator. You don't have the privilege to know how he creates. Because you're created. That's a bummer, isn't it? The sooner you get used to that, the sooner life makes sense. I don't get how that all works together. I don't need to know. I'm the created. All I need to know is the creator says, do this and I do that. Don't do this and I don't do that. Listen to me. That's all I need to know. So here we have Adam and Eve being created by creator God. And this is an amazing moment where he says they were both created in his likeness. So just again, to pump up all the women in the room, you were created in God's likeness. It's not just guys. We'll get into that another time, but look at the Hebrew and the Greek, and it actually goes into it, which actually, man and woman, when you put these, when you put these root words together, it actually talks about it is, um, it is God and his fullness is, is actually expressing the femininity and the masculinity. That is the fullness of who God is. Right? So it's not just like, oh, women get a bad rap. I know that's how women have been treated throughout history, and that's been off since the beginning. Right? Adam blamed Eve for eating the fruit, but it was a partnership. She ate it and so did he. <laughs> right? Throughout history, it's someone blaming somebody else when instead it's actually, no, we're both wrong. We're both wrong. We both got to get right with God. Genesis 2, 15 through 16, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, just so you know, this command is given both to Adam and Eve. It wasn't like Eve wasn't around. They were both there. And so God is speaking to them, made it very clear to them, this is what you're supposed to do. So here they are in the garden, right? Everything God made was them was for them to enjoy. You should know that. Like God creates things for you to enjoy it. It's not wrong to enjoy things. Right? What's wrong is actually to just say, woe is me my whole life and just kind of, I'm just going to suffer, 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 suffer. God's like, I didn't send Jesus on the cross just for you to suffer, suffer, suffer and be like, I'll just kind of get through this world and wait to heaven. Right? But some of us have been taught that. Yeah. Hey, just eat your way through your life and then it'll get good. No, no. He says there's abundant life now. That doesn't mean everybody's healthy, wealthy. That doesn't mean everybody gets what they want, but it means you can find experience, you can experience abundant life now in God right now, just like it was in the garden. Everything God created was meant to be enjoyed. But you know, enjoyment only comes in our obedience to God, not in our rebelliousness. When you rebel against God, things are not enjoyable. It's only when you obey him. You ever been told by some friends, oh, come on, man, just do it. Right? No big deal. It's, oh, come on, you're a chicken, whatever the deal is, right? 
It could be something as simple as, hey, you know what? Climbing roofs on any campus is illegal, but it sounds really fun. Come on, let's do it, right? And that's great until you get caught, right? Potentially expelled from school, right? Or, hey, man, just have another drink. I've already had two, bro. Ah, a few more won't hurt. Come on. All right. Then we know where that goes. Like, usually, you're being egged on by peers to do something rebellious. <laughs> just so you know. When you're trying to, like, convince somebody, like, oh, come on, dude. Oh, okay. So just take a note right here. Before you step in your first day of college, for some of you, don't give in to peer pressure. Don't do it. Like, you, you, you just need to say, hey, here's my convictions. Here's where they, here's where they lie. People will come and go. Stand firm. Yeah. Stand firm with him. People will come and go in your life, but God will remain forever. Yeah. Stand firm with him. So the garden, they're in this amazing paradise. You know, there's probably talking animals and birds, and they're hanging out, and they're eating from every fruit and seed and tree. It's like, man, this place is awesome. The weather is perfect. Whatever perfect is to you. Some of you like 75, some like 55. It's somewhere in that range. It was perfect, and it was enjoyable, and the oxygen was plentiful. It's like, oh, I mean, I'm just getting breath. I'll just, it's amazing paradise. Everything is good. Everything is perfect. God, by the way, is hanging out in the garden with them, but we know it doesn't stay that way, does it? And do you know what's great about the garden was that there was no shame. There was no insecurity. <laughs> there was no embarrassment. There was no one who didn't know they were already accepted. Adam and Eve are right there. Hey, we're both naked. Cool. This is great. Let's hang out together. Hey, God's here too. Are you hungry? Let's eat something. By the way, I'm not jealous because I don't even know what jealous means. There's no envy. What does that even mean? I don't, hate, I don't even know these concepts. Everything was perfect and good. There was no sin. There was no darkness. There was nothing off. It was like this perfect, sublime, amazing relationship that we longed for. And it was right there. Didn't stay that way, though. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, God said, everything I have is yours. I actually want you, not that it's yours, I actually want you to have responsibility over it. I want you to rule over the animals. I want you to maintain the land. This is, I'm giving you an inheritance, which is my creation. Just take care of it. That was his command to them. Then he said, there's only one thing you can't do. Just one thing. Now, um, if you have children, or if you think back to when you were a child, Consider this situation that may or may not have happened. Mom and dad are teaching you, hey, don't touch the hot stove. You're like two and you don't really get it. You just know they said, don't touch it. Right? And maybe if you could talk at a time, you're conspiring with your little brother. Hey, mom and dad said, don't touch the hot stove. Are they holding out on us? I think so. <laughs> Could be some yummy cookies in there. Yeah. We should touch it. I don't know. You touch it. I don't want to touch it. You, you touch it. Okay, I'll touch it. Ah! 
right? It's like hands burn. Or it's like, hey, don't, don't stick your hand in the fire when it's going. Oh, but it looks so cool. Look at those flames. They're orange, red, heat. Whoa, what would happen if I touch it, right? And so as a child, what happens is because we're born into sin. By the way, I have five children. They all came out amazing and cute and giggly and, oh, little baby, you know. And then 18 months, two years, it's like, what happened to you? <laughs> what happened to Cuddles? What, what happened to Dad's awesome? And why are you, what are you doing right now, right? And, and so then what happens with the most two-year-olds is this situation, which you've all experienced. Mom and Dad says, don't touch the plug. Right? And they, and they touch it. What are you doing? I mean, what are you, you're trying to electrocute yourself, right? And the child may be thinking, hey, dad's holding out on me. He doesn't want me to run across the street because he knows it's going to be fun. <laughs> Dodging cars is cool, right? That oven, there's something special about that oven. Why is dad, why are they, we can't trust you, dad. Right? But there's no adult in the room that says running across the highway when cars are going is a good idea. There's no one in the room that says, oh, I'd love to just stick my hand in the fire when we're roasting s'mores and just see what happens. You wouldn't have a hand. Your hand would be gone. And we'd be praying for God to heal your hand. Right? But like, no, no, no. As adults, we understand. But, but guess what? In many ways, we're still children unto God. He's not asking us to understand everything. He's asking us to obey him. That's it, guys. That's Christianity as core. If you love me, you will obey me. <laughs> so how do you demonstrate love to God? Is it looking nice? Is it saying all the right? No, it's obedience. Yes. That's how you give him love. It's when I obey my father. <coughs> so Genesis 3 happens. The serpent deceives them. And again, I think there's a questioning there of God's goodness, can he be trusted? You know, um, Eve, there in this conversation with the serpent, the serpent asked this question. He says, um, did God really say don't eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Um, whenever you hear the thought, did God really say? That's usually a hint that is coming from the devil. Because he's done it before. Yeah. Did, did God really say that sleeping with her is like a big deal? Come on. Trying things out. You don't want to get married and then just get divorced. Live with her a little while. See what happens. Try her out. That's a good idea, right? Culturally. And taught in schools. That's a good idea. Did God really say that this is that bad? I mean, come on. And not only that, not only is the did God really say phrase out there, but actually he, he twists things, right? He says this, and then Eve replies, and he says, oh, you're not going to die. But God knows when you eat of the tree, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. The enemy right here, the serpent, saying, hey, did God really say he's, he's testing God? And someone shared with me earlier, they said, you know what? In this whole passage, God's referred to as Lord God the entire time. Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. And then the serpent comes along and says, God. Do you remember how the serpent became Satan? Satan became, he was Lucifer. If you know the story, there's different passages in the Old Testament, but Ezekiel 28 is one of them, and it shares about the fall of Satan, like how he came into existence, you know? He actually was a created being also. He was one of the angels. He's a created being. 
And it says that um, what ended up happening is, I'll read it to you here in Ezekiel 28, 17. It's describing him. And it says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Now, the devil is tempting Eve. He's saying, did God really say that? What is he saying? What he's saying in this statement is, I don't worship, I don't live unto the Lord God. He is not my authority. Because God was and he rebelled against him. Why did he rebel? For his own beauty, for his own splendor, his own pride, his own image. Why do we have a problem in our societies? Because we are lifting up and exalting our own image. By the way, a false one that's edited. It is a look at me generation. Not just in America, worldwide. The selfie capital of the world is in the Philippines. I looked it up and I thought, what? <laughs> the Philippines is the selfie capital of the planet. Here's a people. It's about me. The devil here is saying, did God really say this? He's testing. He's testing one. What did she really hear? And starting to tempt her. And by the way, I'm not going to call him Lord God because I don't surrender to that. And you shouldn't either. And then Eve responds with, well, God said he tempted her to lower the status of God. In a moment. <laughs> what is true? God said, enjoy everything but one thing. God said, you created my image. You already have my full love, my full acceptance. You're already secure. You're whole. You're loved. We are already connected. We are good. <laughs> An enemy comes in and puts a wedge. Because, you know, the enemy, he rebelled against God years ago. And now he comes after attacking God's pinnacle of his creation, people. Says, well, that didn't work. Now I'm going to go after his most beloved. And he goes right to the heart of it. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over everything. You see, they were in paradise. They had everything. They had everything with God. But sadly, they traded it for a moment that lasted about five seconds. Anyone ever trade something for five seconds? I have. 30 seconds maybe, take you a minute, five minutes maybe, you trade something that was whole and good and pure, you gave it up in a minute, five minutes, pure pressure, ideal, you do something you knew that just didn't feel right, but it felt good with the people around you, and where are those people now? You ever been peer pressured by people? Are they sitting next to you right now? Probably not. I was peer pressured to do all sorts of things growing up. It wasn't their mistake, it was my choice. We are tempted, but the choice is our sin. Adam and Eve are tempted, but they could have said no. Don't forget that. You don't fall into sin. You choose it. You choose it. When you're redeemed in Jesus, he gives you the power to now defeat it, to say no. So don't walk around in self-pity mode as Christians. If you're a Christian, don't do that. There's no self-pity in Christianity. <laughs> I mean, there, there's not. There's no excuses, by the way, either. Find one in the Bible that God affirms. Uh, but God, you know, I was uh, tired. God, I, I didn't know that. God, I, there's no excuses in the Bible. God's like, no, no, just come clean. Confess, come clean, come honest, learn and grow, move on. That is the heart of God. So here they are, traded it for this moment of sinking their teeth into a piece of fruit, which we still can't figure out what that was. <laughs> I think it's a peach. Delicious. <laughs> 
Now we're given three reasons why she took the fruit. It would satisfy her hunger. It says it was good for food. It was attractive. It was a delight to the eyes. And it would make her wise. But I believe there's more to it than that. I believe it goes back to how we are children with our parents, which is trust and goodness. Can I really trust? Can I really trust? Adam, can we really trust that God's not holding out on us? Because the serpent's saying he's holding out on us. That we could gain something by eating this. We could, we could be like God. When they didn't realize they already were like God. They're creating his image. They weren't God himself, but they're creating the image of God already. He's put everything into them. And the devil tried to make them think they actually weren't worth much, but they could be worth more if they do this. Does that sound familiar to us? Hey, you're not worth anything. You're worthless. The way that you look, the way that you talk academically, your brains and relationships, you're a failure. You're an addict. You, you, you break up with guys all the time. You're whatever. You get labeled with all sorts of stuff. And all of a sudden, you take on those labels. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an adulteress. I'm just a fake. I'm a liar. I'm a no good. I always fail. I always get picked last at dodgeball. Whatever the thought is. And you've now taken this on. It's like, woe is me. <clears throat> so you act defeated. You actually don't take on the identity of Jesus. You just take on the identity of the enemy. He labels you and you say, okay, I'll wear the label. Are some of you in this room that may be a little closer to Ezekiel 28 than you want to admit? My downfall has actually been my own splendor. My own image. My own pride. Honestly, Tyler, I'm probably posting something every day because... I'm not finding that acceptance and satisfaction in God. I'm just looking for it for all these people. And if someone likes it here, likes my YouTube video, that makes you feel pretty good for about an hour. But, but you know why selfies and, and likes on YouTube and Facebook and everything else isn't satisfying? It's because you keep redoing it. You know that. It's not satisfying. Talk, talk to anyone that lives a life trying to be satisfied by people. It doesn't matter how rich, how wealthy, how famous. They, end up, they usually end up crashing the higher they go. Because it's like a drug. They have to have man's approval on everything. And it increases. Right? And if you think that I'm missing it, ask yourself the question. The last time you posted something where really no one liked it. Like no one did a thumbs up or said something back. You're like, what happened? Hey, I posted a cool video. My mom didn't even like it. Right? I mean, and honestly, I say it jokingly, but this is where we live. People are committing suicide because they don't think they're worth anything. They are taking their own lives because they believe that their life is worth nothing. Because you or someone else didn't say hey or post something on them. The enemy is getting what he wants. He is destroying God's creation. The most beautiful, the ones who are put into rule and have dominion and do it in a way that's going to bless and honor him. He is destroying them piece by piece by piece. So why do we share the gospel? Why does Mitchell rally a couple hundred college students to come back early to go to campus and just pray for people and talk to them even though they get rejected and mocked and made fun of? Because there's people that are hungry who are saying, I'm on the edge about to jump. You're telling me I can be forgiven? You're telling me I can have acceptance, real acceptance? You're telling me my father left me when I was five, I can have a real father? Yes, I'm in. I don't care what comes my way. That is worth hanging your hat on. Sharing life with someone else that can grasp onto it when they are on the edge of death. 
It may be intense, but that's what it is. <laughs> we don't like to hear that side of it. But guys, that's the day and age we live in. And if you are hanging in the balance of feeling like self-pity or feeling like I'm not accepted or not loved or whatever you are, I want you to know there is hope because God has a plan for you. And his plan is to restore you like he's trying to restore Adam and Eve back in the garden. We are made for a deeper connection. You know those three reasons Eve gave about eating the fruit? Um, what's interesting is the scriptures counter those reasons. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Wow. David, King David wrote in the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. James wrote, one of the disciples, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to you. Wow. What Eve was wanting was actually already in her grasp. But the enemy said, you actually aren't going to get this. And God's like, no, no, no. I've already got it. It's right here. Just stay in relationship. Just stay connected right now. Listen, we all have dreams and desires, and sometimes they don't get fulfilled on our timetable. But we are finite. We are people. We are not God. There's so many dreams I've had in my heart that haven't come to pass because God replaced it with a different dream that was actually better. If you trust that God is good, just like trusting your parents across the streets, a bad idea with traffic, then you will be, you will be blessed in that way. You'll be protected. It's for your well-being. God said, don't eat of that tree so that I can protect you. Because I want to protect this relationship. But when you go outside of that, you just wrecked it. And so then through all of human history, it was wrecked. People kept trying to scrape their way back to God. And then Jesus came. And then Jesus came. After thousands of years of people suffering and being broken and trying to earn their way back to God, Jesus showed up and said, I'm going to do it once for all. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a Bible verse that many of us have probably heard or know, maybe seen in a sporting event. God gave his only son. That's it. If you want to move away from being the me generation, the modern day one, and move on to being the him generation, it's about going through Jesus. If you want your life to be about yourself, maybe you've done that, you've been unfulfilled, you've been unsatisfied. I want to say when you latch on to his mission and his plan, his purpose, it's actually very satisfying, very fulfilling. And it's constant. You don't have to keep going back to try to re-earn his acceptance. You see, you then all of a sudden you start realizing, wait, when I give my life to Jesus, he paid the price for everything. He bled and he died. He rose from the grave. He cleansed me. He washed me. And now he says, now live. It's not, hey, come back to me every day and go back to the cross again because you didn't really, you weren't really forgiven there. And so, no, no, he says, all is forgiven. Now go. Now go and live your life. And by the way, you're living a life knowing you're already accepted, which means if I would have known this fully as a freshman, I would have not have been trying to hang out with friends and meet people for my own purposes. I would have said, God already loves me, accepts me. From that place, then I am now, I'm now commanded to go and love and bless other people. I was making friends. I should have been making friends to honor him, not myself. It wasn't bad what I was doing. The motives were off, though. If I would have said, man, I'm going to make a thousand friends because I'm going to make sure God's name is known. I'm going to bless them, encourage them. I'm going to find people that are downtrodden and discouraged. I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to play with them. Hey, you don't have anyone to eat lunch with? I'll eat lunch with you. No one picked you for the team. I'll pick you first. I'll be Jesus to a bunch of people, but not for me. Not so they can say, thanks, Tyler, for being Jesus. Here's an award for being Jesus to me. (laughs) Thanks, Tyler. I like you on Facebook. Thanks for friending me. 
I didn't need any of that. What I, what I wish I would have had was, man, I just do it unto him. Yeah. I do it unto him. No matter what happens. That's got to be our heart. Yeah. You know, I recently heard someone share that I'm in the garden. As you know, the story goes, and Adam and Eve sin. It says here they took fig leaves. I mean, can, can you imagine? I don't know what he used to cut or take them out. Just tiny little fig leaves. That ain't covering much. I mean, let's, let's be honest. You're naked. Hey, I need, I, need, I, need, I need an outfit. Fig leaves. Okay, covers a little bit. It's a partial covering. But what does it say? It says that God actually took an animal and killed it and um, covered them. Now, someone recently shared with me. They said they lived in New Zealand, and they were sharing, and they said, you know, New Zealand's got like 30 million sheep and 3 million people. They got a lot of sheep there. So everybody in New Zealand knows actually how to kill a sheep. And so um, he said what they do is actually take it, they take a lamb, whatever, and, and actually slit its throat. Kind of rough, right? And so you cut the throat of the sheep. It bleeds out. You got it. You clean it out. And then you take the wool. You then take the skin off. You have to take it off. So when you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve just sinned. Just partially covered themselves, trying to make up for what they just did, trying to hide their nakedness, their shame, their embarrassment, everything they've done. And then God goes and kills a lamb. He then puts it on them. And it's not just that the covering is a full covering on them, not just a partial, but then it's got the blood of the lamb on them. Because, you know, when you cut an animal open, there's blood that runs out. You see, guys, God had a plan in the beginning. As soon as sin entered the picture into our world, God had a rescue plan. One day, the Lamb of God would be slain. One day, the Lamb of God would be killed, and then we would come underneath the cross, and he would cover us, would wash us in his blood, and we'd be forgiven. There's no forgiveness without blood being spilled. That's why Jesus had to die. He couldn't have just said, be, he, his, he had to die. He had to be a sacrifice. Someone had to take the brunt of our sin and wickedness and rebellion. Someone had to take it, and he was the one who took it. I want our band to come on up, and let's go and stand as we close today. Bring our ministry teams make their way up here, please. You know, God initiated this great rescue plan. And um, the last 2,000 years, it's been available to every tribe, tongue, and nation, every people group, every age group. There's no one who's not included. And, um, but I want to I end with a story that I think will share the picture of the Father's heart. Ernest Hemingway tells a story. He was a great American author, and he tells a story of this father and his son who got in an argument. They lived outside the city of Madrid in Spain, and they got this big argument, and the son ended up wanting to go to Madrid to go become a bullfighter. His father didn't approve, and so they were really kind of disconnected, and for years this went on, and eventually the father said, I, I want to find my son. And so he saved up money, he was able to go to the big city, and he took kind of like all the money he had, and he put it into this newspaper article hoping to find his son. It's a huge city, he doesn't know where to find his son. And he puts this, this letter in the article, and, and it says this, um, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And so there in the newspaper, in Madrid, he's hoping maybe my son Paco will actually find the paper and meet me tomorrow and we can make up. So the father goes to bed. He wakes up the next day hoping that maybe my son found this. He's walking to the hotel, to the meeting spot. And it's about noon. 
He turns a corner. He doesn't just see one. He sees 800 young men, all named Paco. What's the point? Every human heart is longing to be restored to their father. Every human heart is longing to hear the words, all is forgiven. And you know, every person is disconnected from the Father until we receive Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But you know, there's something else to it. Not only is there a restoration, I think, that God's gonna do this morning with many of us. For some of you, it's gonna be that for the first time, you are going to the Father and saying, will you forgive me? You're gonna receive Jesus into your heart and there's gonna be a change that's gonna happen. For some, there's things that you've done, you've dabbled in that you need to come clean with and say, Father, forgive me. Maybe like the prodigal son, I was in his covering, I was there, then I left my own way and I need to come back again. Maybe that's you. But then for others in this room, you may be here saying, you know what? I'm tired of being a part of this me generation. I'm tired of making life about myself. I'm tired of trying to find satisfaction, acceptance, fulfillment, and just doing my own thing. I'm tired of that. And I need him to be my thing. Like I need to be taking pictures of God, <laughs> not me. Although I'm his creation, but I'm not the one to be exalted, he is. And when I exalt him, he actually looks at me and says, hey, I know the hairs in your head. I love those color eyes. I made you like that. I love your brain, the way you work. Did you know I wired you like that? Did you know you're an introvert because I designed you like that? Don't despise me. Did you know you're an extrovert because I designed you like that? Did, all of a sudden you start realizing, wait a second, all I have is his and he's given me everything I need. And I can make friends not trying to prove myself to them. I'm already approved and loved by God. I just get to love them. And if I get rejected or not, whatever, go on, I move on. But my life is not dictated by what people say. It's actually by what he says. So I don't know where you're at this morning. If you need to be forgiven by Papa, or if you just are saying, I'm done with that life of living for myself, I'm gonna exalt him. Wherever you're at, these guys are up here to pray for you. They're a ministry team. They're, everything's confidential. Sometimes you can't cover yourself, you know? Put the fig leaves on. Say, I need a covering. And that's what these guys are here to do, to help walk with you through that. So Lord, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. And we trust you this morning. We just ask that you would do whatever you want to do. You administered our hearts. You'd restore us this morning. Just before we worship, just God had given us um, a pretty specific word this morning as we were praying before the service that today people are going to be restored to God the Father. And as a result, that restoration would start this week with their earthly fathers. And so I just want to pray that right now for anyone in the room. You can come up, pray with someone or whatever, but just believing that God wants to do that. If you'll take that and believe that, I believe God has that for you today. God has that for you today. So Father, just pray there would be restoration in this room. Every person in this, in this room right now, Lord, that needs restoration with you, Heavenly Father, you would do that first, that you would put the priorities in place. And then God, I pray that restoration would take place this week in Jesus' name, that you'd begin to initiate the process. Specifically, God gave me a, just a word earlier that someone in this room has a daddy in prison who they have not talked to for some time and God wants to restore that. You don't have a relationship with him, but he wants to restore that starting this week. 
So Lord, we are asking that you would not only be a God of restoration for our own souls and our longings, you'd restore our earthly relationships, specifically with our fathers. This week, God, let it be a testimony of your goodness that you are in the business of restoring us to yourself and to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.